0: Hi, I'm Heather Bruschetti at the Business Council of New York State. I'm the president and CEO, and now I am the host of this podcast called Connect, the Business Council podcast. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Connect podcast. I'm your host, Heather Bruschetti. Uh, Today we have with us Carl Slate, who is a partner at Harris Beach, which is a law firm. At Harris Beach, they are working closely on the rollout of the legal cannabis industry in New York state. And so today we're gonna talk a little bit about the background leading up to the legalized adult use of cannabis in the state, um, how local municipalities can choose to uh, not allow recreational use and how that's gonna work, and some of the challenges that the industry faces uh, as we move forward. So just a little piece of quick background. In New York, uh, medical marijuana was made legal in 2014. And then seven years later in 2021, the legislature approved recreational adult use marijuana, perhaps because we were all locked up at that point for two years. But um, I think there was pressure to do it even before the pandemic. Um, And so uh, what happened then is the legislature adopted um, oversight, uh, adopted legislation that created An oversight and licensing agency and um, cultivation um, aka growing licenses were approved last year and this year we expect to see retail licenses so with all that background, um, I want to say welcome to Carl and get started on how, how do we get here Um, and. you know, how did we get to the point of now recreational use after it was obviously illegal in the state for for a very long time. So Carl, welcome and thanks for joining us.
1: Great to be here, Heather. Um, You're right. In 2014, uh, what what I would call the nose under the tent came to New York where medical marijuana started. Um, Like most things, it was You know, something that had been in progress for a long time. The politics kind of lined up uh, at that point in time. There was a gubernatorial election and medical marijuana comes to the fore. I think most people thought at that time that adult use was on the horizon at some point in time. Uh, Fast forward to, you know, March 31st of 21 and the adult use law passes here in New York. Um, And that law, and it's important to keep in mind, that law was very much uh, thought about in terms of the history of marijuana and law enforcement marijuana and the the idea that there were those who were disproportionately and adversely affected by harsh uh, law enforcement uh, of marijuana and to try to change that and give opportunities to those who were, you know, disproportionately affected. And you'll see that theme throughout uh, what is happening in, in marijuana these days.
0: So it, a number of other states have done this as well. Do you have any, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but but um, it's sort of a trend nationally. Can you give us a sense of um, where it's legal or how many?
1: Yeah, more than half the states have uh, some form of medical or adult use marijuana. If you look um you know, at the East Coast versus the West Coast, I kind of divided along those lines, you know, Colorado, California, you know, it's, uh, I I would say it's more fractured, it's less regulated, they do have issues, there is an abundance of of, uh, marijuana available uh, adult use there. When you look at Illinois, and then the East Coast, New York, Florida, there seems to have been uh, a more strict regulatory program. So uh, the sense that, you know, not just let this happen and try to rein it in, but kind of control it uh, and see where it goes from there. And we saw that in New York with the medical marijuana, only five licenses were uh, permitted in the beginning. There were five more uh, a few years later. So only 10 medical marijuana facilities in New York.
0: Okay. So, but the medical marijuana um, legalization in New York, that didn't include smoking, right? That was just other forms? Or, or am I wrong about that? I, I, I actually just don't remember how it ended up.
1: Yeah. So what they did, uh, which is different than what adult use ended up being, um, it was what I call vertical integration. So if you got a license uh, from the state of New York for medical marijuana, you went and you could cultivate, you could process, you could transport, and then you could sell the medical marijuana to those who had medical marijuana cards um, at your dispensaries and only a handful of dispensaries for each medical marijuana license. The adult use is very different and there was no smoking, it was was medical, medicinal, um, but no smoking was allowed now you get to adult use and it's fractured so what i mean by that is there are no vertical integrations so they took this model they want you know a lot of people to be able to participate in this new industry and for example you cannot have a retail license and a cultivation license mm. you can't have a transportation license and a retail license so they're trying to i think spread these licenses out You know, try to allow people to become entrepreneurial um, while at the same time being true to the social equity um, notion that that the statute was really based on.
0: So, as a practical matter, I mean, I live on a farm. If I wanted to, could I just go plant some marijuana? But you're saying if I, even if I did that, I wouldn't be able to move it or sell it. I'd have to find someone else who would do that. Is that, am I understanding correctly?
1: Right, so um, it's kind of a slow roll for 2022. So, you know, because of the disruption we had with, you know, who was going to be the governor in the middle of 2021, there was some slowness as it relates to the regulatory agencies. When Governor Hochul came in, she quickly um, identified people to serve on the Cannabis Control Board, Uh, and the Office of Cannabis Management, which staffed up, I think, relatively quickly for government, uh, you know, by government standards. Uh, And both of those agencies, I think, have done a a very good job in um, trying to keep this thing going in the right direction. Um, They did have some history with hemp uh, that's been um, allowed in New York for the last few years. Uh, And what they've done, again, being true to the statute with a social equity bent, in the first quarter of this year, um, they allowed uh, and opened a portal for cultivation licenses. However, in order to be eligible for those cultivation licenses, you had to have grown hemp for the last two of the three years. And the idea behind that is you know, they didn't want folks to just come to uh, the fore and start making an application to grow marijuana. What they wanna do is reward those farms, which had been involved in the hemp industry legitimately for the last few years and give them, not necessarily grandfathering them in, but limiting the licenses and people who have a proven record of doing uh, work in this area, You know they had a better chance of getting a license. It would seem unfair, for example, if somebody was involved in hemp for the last few years Applied for a uh, adult use license and then didn't get one. So right. that was the uh, thinking there, and I think that makes some sense. Are you the also, licenses
0: uh, are, expensive? I mean, is it something that you have to pay a lot of money for as well, or or are they? Is it just like sort of getting a liquor license?
1: Yeah, the, these licenses are not the medical marijuana licenses. You know, were approximately two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now those oh. were. You know, those were significant companies and a lot of wherewithal to to be able to build from scratch that kind of infrastructure. Uh, Not the same here. The licenses are less than $5,000. And that's also consistent with the fact that, you know, you're trying to encourage folks to be entrepreneurial, not weight them down with, you know, heavy licensing fees. But there are going to be significant costs associated with, um, you know, starting a business like that.
0: So, the folks who had the medical marijuana licenses who presumably still have them, um, are they going to end up going getting put out of business by this or or are there protections for them?
1: No, they're they're recognized, and um, they're going to be, a, I think, an important part going forward, but you know they've you know invested the money not unlike the hemp farmers over the last several years. Uh, and have done a good job and and worked through some difficult times. There's certainly gonna be a place for them to be able to sell adult use. I think there are open questions in terms of uh, the number of dispensaries that they may have. Another question is to what extent are are out um, out of state marijuana companies going to be allowed to come into New York? Again, there's going to be probably some tension between um, those in New York that the legislature and the governor want to try to promote and give an opportunity in terms of uh, you know, financial opportunities versus large MSOs, multi-state organizations, operations to uh, come to New York. So that is going to play out in the future. Right,
0: right. So I, I've seen a bunch of articles suggesting that, I mean, I, I think more editorials <laughs> suggesting that um, you have to be actually have been previously convicted of a, a marijuana offense in order to have one of these licenses, is that, is that accurate? Or, I mean, I, I know that it's raised a few
1: eyebrows. Sure, and there's, there's, there's some misinformation about that, but not unlike the um, agencies wanted to protect those who have been involved in um, hemp growing for cultivation licenses, you know, there was, I think, a notion that how do we kind of be true to the statute and try to help those who had been adversely affected by harsh marijuana laws, and the the concept of uh, justice involved, uh, which is a term uh, or a phrase and term of art used in these new draft regulations, uh, came to pass, which means um, if you were arrested or if you had a family member who was, you know. Affected by the marijuana laws, let's say a son or a daughter or your parent, or you know someone along those lines. So you don't technically have to be the person who was convicted to apply for a license, but the agencies are trying to get people involved who may have had some adverse experience in the criminal justice system and are trying to turn their lives around. So, okay.
0: um, so I mean, it, assuming you want a license and you don't have any you know, um, history of being justice involved, um, you wouldn't be able to just go out and get yourself arrested and then qualify.
1: No, you'd have to, that would have had to have happened, you know, about 18 months ago. So you okay. could kind of, right. yeah, it's not, you know, crime wave will not help you get a license. Okay. Um, but it does present an interesting phenomenon. You know, we've had many clients who are, have financial wherewithal and are interested in getting involved in this business, but, you know, they were never arrested for a marijuana related offense or a criminal substance offense. They don't have any other family, so they're not eligible. We also have folks who, you know, were part of what they call the legacy or black market, um, uh, market uh, over the years are very knowledgeable about uh, cannabis, how to grow it um, and things along those lines, but don't have the wherewithal. So we're seeing this um, these dance partners, so to speak, of people who were just as involved with people who were uh, had some experience in other businesses and were successful, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, in my view, because you know you need folks who have a business acumen who understand, you know, fundamentals, point of sale, resources, and things like that. But you also need folks who are you know familiar with you know, the the different strains of marijuana and, you know, those kinds of things. So it may work. It'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. But that's the first wave of retail licenses. If you don't have that justice involved, you're simply not eligible for a first wave license.
0: Oh, but there will be more licenses available in second or third wave or?
1: that's the expectation. So where we have, you know, these are all conditional licenses. So where we have conditional licenses with cultivation, we're getting plants in the spring, this April and May of 2022, that crop will be harvested and processed in, you know, probably the third and fourth quarter of this year. The retail licenses, we're expecting that those for the first wave are going to happen in July or August. You know, those will be evaluated and then there'll be product to sell. Those folks will have licenses, and then uh, and then you'll be able to go into a retail dispensary who's who's licensed and and buy adult use marijuana.
0: So are they going to be everywhere? I mean, I, I mean, is there going to be a basically a, a a pot shop on every corner?
1: <laughs> that... no, and in, in the the legislature was sensitive to the fact that you know there were some communities that probably didn't want this. So over the course of last year, two thousand and twenty one, you know, municipalities had the option to opt out of only retail, not cultivation and other um, licenses, but they could opt out of retail and say they simply did not want that in their community. Um, And there were an awful lot of uh, communities that did opt out, mostly suburban communities around some of the upstate cities. You know, a lot of Nassau County uh, opted out, for example. But, you know, the five boroughs of New York City did not you know, the the larger cities in uh, upstate New York did not, um, and a lot of the smaller towns did not. It was mostly suburban bedroom communities that that opted out. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's kind of where the landscape is now. But if someone's looking for a retail license, one of the first things you need to know is, does the municipality that I'm thinking about going to, did they opt out or not?
0: Right. And it, and that would be just consult with an attorney who could find that out for you or, um, I mean, or is there like a web page somewhere?
1: You know the Rockefeller Institute did a very nice job um, over the course of the last couple of months with a website that allows you to kind of go on and and look at you know the municipalities that you know opted out. We had been doing that and tracking that very closely for our clients through the course of two thousand twenty one it's It's essentially settled now. And that's a that's a good uh, public resource for folks who are interested in, you know, whether or not their community is going to allow this or if they're interested in obtaining a license, it's a good resource to go to.
0: So I was in uh, New York City last week and there's this van that drives around that they sell. They purport anyways to sell pot out of their window. How does how is that legal or is it not legal?
1: And that's going to be a, a, a difficult situation, I think, going forward, because you have folks who are very interested in doing what I'll call the right way. They're going to get a license. They're willing to go through the process. You know, it's not an easy process. They're willing to be vetted um, and ultimately be granted a license by the state. You know, they're going to have point of sale, you know, obligations. They're going to have sales tax and excise tax obligations. You know, But if you have, you know, a Um, what I'll call legacy market or black market retailer around the corner, who's not paying sales tax. Um, And that could, that could be a problem because if it's, if it's $30 for the person who's licensed for the same product, it's 25 for the person who's not licensed, where are they going to go? And I think what you're going to see is there's going to have to be some kind of enforcement, hard to make that traditional law enforcement with police because you know, there's been such a wave of kind of walking away from enforcement of marijuana-related laws. I think what you're going to see is the Department of Taxation and Finance will ultimately be the enforcement arm for uh, illegal marijuana um, retailers. So,
0: I mean, that's the thing. I mean, this van is blatant. It's It's got huge signs on the side of it. It's very sort of commercial, established looking and... There's, but there's, there's no way that they have one of these licenses, right? Because they're not,
1: there are no licenses, right? right. So they don't have one.
0: Okay. That's interesting. Um, And there's some federal law issues too, that are still are somewhat unresolved, correct?
1: Yeah. And that's a significant piece of this because, you know, as, as you know, marijuana is a schedule one illegal drug. And so that creates a significant amount of issues where on a state by state basis, you know whether medical marijuana and/or adult use within the confines of the state, the the justice department has essentially taken a hands off view. But it's still a Schedule One drug. If you cross state lines, that's a problem. But it also uh, brings significant business difficulties to the fore, and some of those include banking. So, if you know if you were someone who got a retail license and you wanted to go to your local bank and open up an account, you'd probably have a very difficult time because federally chartered banks do not want to get involved in this because there is a theory out there that if they get involved in banking, they are aiding and abetting in an illegal activity. So their banks are so highly regulated, they're not gonna do that. State chartered banks also have federal obligations and regulations as well. And so where some people thought that I'll oh, just go to a state t- charter bank, that's just not going to be the case. There are a very few that kind of are dipping their toe into that. There are some credit unions who are looking at that, but they're very circumspect and it's, you know, we're going to probably have a situation where the law is not going to change federally because the margins are so close in Congress. Um, and it. it It brings a lot of other issues to the fore, which include uh, safety and security. If you have a significant cash business every day, and everybody knows that you have a cash business because you don't have a bank, you know that's that's going to be something that has to be factored into to these retail licenses and their their business. So, like
0: as a practical matter, if you had a retail establishment in theory, they wouldn't be able to maybe accept credit cards or just can you solve it with like Venmo? I don't know. I'm trying to figure yeah, out how I it mean, works. It,
1: there's been a lot of discussions, cash, cryptocurrency, you know, how to kind of go about this. But, um, you know, there's, there's no lack of ideas around those points, but there's it is a, is a strongly cash business. Huh. Okay.
0: Um, and as far as like, if you're cultivating, um, would you be able to buy the equipment on credit or, I mean, I guess the equipment could be used for legal purposes too, so probably that wouldn't be an issue. Um, yeah, the
1: difficulty there is, um, again, because it's a federally, um, uh, a federally illegal drug, if you're buying equipment and you're investing in your um, business, you know, under the IRS tax code section 280E, it prohibits deductions for running a business that consists of uh, trafficking a controlled substance. And, you know, so folks who have typical business expenses for, you know, buying a truck or doing, you know, various things um, are going to run into some issues in terms of what can and cannot be a business deduction. And that's going to play out. The state has done some, has alleviated that to some extent. And Senator Cooney from Rochester has been very helpful in that regard and had some legislation passed, but it's an IRS rule. So um, while the state can help in some ways, it's still a federal issue.
0: Right. So there's still some unresolved issues um, that are going to make this sort of constrained in terms of um, how how people can operate these businesses. They're not going to be able to probably take credit cards and um and might have to have really giant safes right
1: <laughs> well yeah i think you know cash you know cash is going cash and security i think are going to be issues um yeah. Yeah. because if you, they simply don't have banks so i think you know where there's a will there's a way and you know the the business community will figure that out but um you know, it's it's going to be difficult. And, you know, other states have had difficulties and there's, you know, many, many stories in California and Colorado with, you know, people burying you know, money in their backyard, literally. Right. Um, right. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But something does need to change there. It's just it's not a it's not a good environment.
0: So what is the state going to get out of this? Obviously, they wouldn't pass this legislation without getting a, a bit of a pound of flesh. What What does the state look to gain?
1: Well, I think you, you have a few aspects. One, you know, the, the legislature, which, you know, has a super majority uh, from the Democratic Party. This has been an issue that's been important to them. And you have a Democratic governor. So from a um, just a policy perspective, you know, the, the finances aside, I think it's something they've wanted to do for a long time, and they're they're there and they got it through. Um, certainly, there will be um, taxes, excise taxes, point of sale sales tax that the state will um, generate, you know, and what that is remains to be seen. Um, I I compared to the the OTB parlors of the nineteen seventies. It's a very similar theory. If you think about it, where there was illegal bookmaking, the state wanted to get a piece of the action, so to speak, take the bookmakers out of business and, you know, create a, you know, create a government operated bookkeeping operation. The same is true here. You have an illegal activity. There's still a black market for it, just like there is with OTBs, but less so these days. And. These these uh, entities are going to have to try to kind of move forward in such a way that um, it brings what was previously black market illegal activity to the mainstream. So it's going to it's going to take some time.
0: So, but it's still. I mean, we were we've been talking this whole time about adult use, and I never actually spelled out what constitutes an adult for the purposes of this statute. Right? It's is it eighteen or twenty one? Yeah, over twenty one. Twenty one. Okay, so it's essentially going to be treated like alcohol, you still can't drive when you're under the influence. Um, there's still gonna be penalties for possession or I guess for providing it to people who aren't the appropriate age, correct? I mean, it's not just gonna be wide open, wild west.
1: Right, there's there certainly the restrictions have been loosened, um, relaxed, um, but you can have up to three ounces of marijuana now without it being a crime. Uh, you'll be able to grow up to five pounds of marijuana in your home um, without that being illegal. So those are significant changes uh, that are going to, to come forward. You know, it it will create a, a difficulty and it already has in many extents to employers. So if you're a you know a business that's not involved in cannabis, but you're seeing this you know influx in growth of the cannabis business in the business community and you have a factory or, um, those kinds of things, and you have somebody who is using cannabis. H- how are you going to deal with that? And unlike alcohol, uh, THC cannabis stays in your system for a long period of time. So, if you have random drug testing or things along those lines, and somebody tests positive for THC, it could have been something that was 30 days ago when they are the job, not affected anymore. So there's there's not any you know, really reliable, tested employers can rely on to deal with that particular issue, which is certainly something the business community has been thinking about.
0: Right. I mean, there's going to have to at some point be a way to, um, I, I guess, measure present impairment, right? Impairment. It, how do you show that someone is impaired right now versus um, having THC in their system, which, again, could not, might not be at all impacting their, their um, performance? Um, yeah, multi-
1: and that's and that's that's the difficulty. You know, alcohol kind of goes through your system relatively quickly. And if somebody's, you know, drunk on the job, there's that's kind of easy to figure out. But right. THC adult use, and particularly when it's legal, so you know, trying to punish you know an employee for activity which the government has said is legal and where they may not have been under the influence at the time they were working, you know, does present a lot of labor and employment issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess there's a lot still to be worked out, but I really appreciate this. And um, I uh, so I guess that the bottom line is is we shouldn't all start going out and um, opening up our own marijuana businesses just yet. We might want to pause for a moment.
1: Yeah, I think what we're going to see is kind of a slow roll of this with conditional licenses over 2022. Uh, you're not going to see a lot of you know any legal retailers, although you will see your. Um, situation that you described previously in New York City and, you know, a lot of the legacy folks who decide not to get a license, you know, and I think next year, 2023, it'll be very interesting because now you will have uh, operational retailers um, and we'll see where the legacy market and those who decide not to get a license go, but there'll be a lot of issues. And this is something that um, is going to evolve and evolve rapidly over the course of the next two or three years.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Carl. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully um, this, some of these issues get resolved.
1: Great to see you again. Thanks, Heather.
0: Thank you. you too. Be well. You too.